Listening Podcast, January 26th, Episode 7. You went with a new intro this week. I, I like did, it. yeah, I did. No I'm hello. Keeping the, I'm keeping the listeners on their toes, keeping you on your toes, Jake. I didn't know what to expect. I'm over here shaking in my boots. Yep, yep. Um, that must be because the basement's kind of chilly. It's kind of cold down here. The reason for that is, just a quick anecdote, I spend a lot of time <laughs> down here, okay, this I, is what this is I, what Mitch, by the way, was telling us not to do. Mitch, if you're listening, shout out to you uh, for telling us don't tell so many unrelated anecdotes. We're, we're starting off with a bang. With starting off hot with one. Um, so I come down here a lot. I spend a lot of time in the basement. I turn the heat on. Uh, I've left the heat on one too many times. My dad has gotten really mad at me. He's yelled at me a couple times for wasting heat, wasting oil. Oil's expensive, Sean. Blah, blah, blah. You know what, Dad? Oil is the lowest it's been in seven years. So I think we can afford to put the heat up to 62 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this isn't this um, isn't a, uh, a world economics uh, podcast. This is the Listen In podcast, music podcast. Um, so, Jake, what have you... What do you, what do you think? What have you been listening to lately? Uh... Kind of a lot of different stuff. So I think the two primary things we've both been listening to a lot this week. Well, I don't want to speak for you. Two of Please the albums. Don't. Please don't speak for me. I'm sorry. I, I do that. Is that one too many times? Continue. Okay. Um, I've been listening to the new Chairlift album, Moth, and the new Savages album, Adore Life. Or is it just called Adore? I think it's just Adore. Let me quickly say... That if you don't listen to either of these bands, this is like our joke where we just make up indie bands indie band. and oh, album names. Oh yeah, I'm listening to uh, Vinyl Sidings' new record, uh, Outlets. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. And, like, yeah. No, I think I've heard of them. Yeah, and and you can run, you could like get that by most people. Yeah, and most music fans, because what I would, I'd immediately go into defense mode and be like, why haven't I heard of Vinyl Siding? Yeah. Why haven't I... I gotta listen to Outlets. Yeah, I gotta check that out. What does what it have it, on Metacritic? What did Pitchfork give it? What does it have on Metacritic? Chairlift is a real band. Savages is also a real band. Chairlift is a, like, synth-pop duo. Yeah, duo. Um, yep. uh, and this is their third full-length album, I think? Yeah, third. Uh, <laughs> yeah, duo. Yeah, third. Um, and it's pretty good. Um, a few listens, probably four, three, four listens in. Um, really digging a few of the songs like Cha-Ching. Cha-Ching is probably my favorite. Yeah, so I like Cha-Ching a lot. Some good sort of catchy hooks in there. You know what I like too is Moth to the Flame. I do too. That's that's one that if like it comes on at a party and I've yeah. had a couple drinks, I'm yelling along to that probably song. Probably singing along, yeah. Definitely. Or yelling along. Let, let me see if there's any other notables. We'll have some on the playlist. Well, yeah, we'll if, throw it. So just a reminder that last Romeo week, is cool. Polymorphing is cool. These are cool. It's a cool album. It's good. It's good. I uh, wouldn't say I love I don't love it. it. I don't love I it. I like it. It's, I like it. Um, so last week, we created a Spotify playlist for the Listen In podcast. And what we're doing with that playlist is we're just putting in some of the tracks that we're referencing mm-hmm. uh, in the episode so that if you're interested in any of them, if anything piques your interest, like these fake indie bands that we're making up. Like can, Vinyl Siding. Vinyl Siding outlets. Get it now. Only at Best Buy. Um, you can go check them out on the Spotify playlist. And and what's it called? It's like Listen In Podcast Playlist. Yep. That's what you have to search. Also, yep. we share it on Twitter through our Level 4 media uh, Twitter account. Twitter. So give us a follow. Account. Give us a follow. Um, so, and then Savages. Um, maybe the album I like a little better between the two. Yeah. Um, totally different type of thing. Uh, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit to their sound. Yeah, so Savages is... Actually, I don't even really know how to describe... They're like post-punk, right? It, yeah, it's like post-punk-ish. And uh, it's a, a female singer, female band, all-female yeah. band. Uh, the lead singer, I think her name's Jenny Beth. That's the name she goes by. It's not really her name. It's a stage name. But she is French and also sounds astoundingly like Getty Lee of Rush. She, she sounds does. like the lead singer of you're Rush. Right, so if you're, you're right. into like a post-punk um, take on what Rush would be doing in 2016 if Rush was four women. And um, all like feminists and like fe- badass. Fem- like Yeah, like militant feminist punks. Maybe give this a listen. I mean, I'm into it. Yeah, I, I've actually really been digging it. Me too. Um, favorite song on this album, Sean? Uh, I would say Adore, the okay. title track. To to play devil's advocate and take another perspective, I'm going to say the answer. Or yeah, answer yeah. Uh, I also really really like um, 
Slowing Down the World is really cool, too. It's yeah. the song right after A Door. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, if, sure. if you like some... It, this is a heavy album. Uh, maybe I don't know if it's as heavy as their previous one. I didn't I don't think it is. I think much. this one's got a little more, like, sheen to it. It's yeah. like the production's a little, like, brighter. Well, and the songs are, I think, a little less heavy and, like, yeah. maybe a little less aggressive. Like, we yeah. were talking about A Door earlier, and it's a slower song. There's a nice build-up at the end, and there's a part in the middle, though, that sounds sort of Smiths-ish, sort of the Benz-era Radiohead. Yeah, um, for sure. So, yeah, worth a listen if you're interested in any of the... If, in Getty Lee singing lead vocals for a feminist post-punk band. <laughs> That's... Um, which, I, I mean, honestly, that if I can think of, like, one sort of band everyone's been waiting for... It's, it's that. that. It's that. And, and Getty Lee has missed the call. <laughs> He's missed the call. You know? The world was waiting for Getty. <laughs> He, he, didn't, he didn't step up. Uh, yeah, so those are the two new albums that Jake and I have been listening to. I need to take a step back from the new 2016 music for a second. I need to give some love to my girl, Joanna Newsom. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, Joanna Newsom is this harpist, singer-songwriter, like medieval folk goddess who basically... Just the songs that she crafts are like nothing you've ever heard before. She's a songstress siren... Nymph. Wood nymph. She is. (laughs) Anyways, uh, basically, I've been listening to her albums nonstop this week. Milk-Eyed Mender, her first album. Her second album, Ease. Let me just give you a quick example. Ease is five songs. Spelled Y-S. Spelled Y-S. It's spelled... Y-S, yeah. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought, sorry. Um, it's five songs. The longest song is 17 minutes. The shortest song is seven and a half minutes. It averages out to 11 minutes each of all just these dense harp and string arrangements. And, like, there's not a lot of, like, room for this music to breathe either. She's just, like, singing the entire song, t- the entire time. And she's throwing in a lot of just, like, medieval sounding words it's crazy now let me ask you this question because i gave milk eyed mender my first two listens today went back to back really liked it went back to back like drake mm-hmm. um and gave milk eyed mender two straight listens uh is ease ys spelled ys the album that came after milk eyed mender yes okay milk eyed mender is really really good i immediately liked it and in comparison to Divers, which came out last year, which is sort of our gateway to Joanna. I agree it's a little more accessible, and I think it may be where you want to start with Joanna. Also, I think what it comes down to is the sound, the song structure is a little more traditional. It's a little bit, like, it's great. I really like it. That's not a slight. It's just, I think it's more accessible because, dude, the stuff she's doing on Divers is, like, they're, they're kind of weird songs. Like, they're, ri- they're written weirdly, they're composed and produced strangely, kind of, and um, it still has that Baroque sound... Uh, and like you say, there's harp all in there, piano, uh, really enjoyable stuff. Baroque's a great way to put it. And also a lot of people complain about her voice because it can get really high pitched and like kind of squeaky. People call it a baby voice, which I get. And like, honestly, if you haven't heard Joanna before and you pop her on for the first time, you're like, what am I listening to? Yeah. This is weird. Maybe try a song or two first before you try a full album. Yeah. Agreed. Maybe give it a so, shot. So in going, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Going back to her her squeaky voice, or like high-pitched voice, so there's one song in particular on Milk-Eyed Mender, it's called Sadie, and it's about her dog who actually died, and the song starts out with her like singing her dog's name, which is Sadie, and it's really high-pitched, and I was reading up on it, and they're like, she does this on purpose, she's singing to her dog, dogs hear higher-pitched, like, octaves so of course she's gonna sing it in a high-pitched voice so it's like yeah that's how you talk to an animal too yeah it's like an artistic statement within the song about who it's about so it makes perfect sense so when people like complain about oh it's too high pitched it's too this it's weird it sounds like snow white singing in the 1930s snow white movie like fine i get your critiques however i don't think there's anyone making music over the last decade that sounds quite like joanna or Mm. is doing anywhere remotely close to the things she's doing with a harp or like the arrangements she's putting together. So it's fascinating. Um, I am going to agree and say that she's sort of a singular voice. Uh, as far as I've heard in the music, modern, uh, the, the music, modern landscape. Well, we're off to a good start. We're... Anecdotes about heating. 
and then I, I say the music modern landscape. So I'm just going to leave it there. I, I, She's a singular voice in the music modern landscape, Sean. Wouldn't you say? I would say that, Jake. I'm struggling myself. I've said some weird shit already. You have, it, and so have I. It walked to the bed. I don't, we I don't, start over. I don't care. Uh, other than Joanna, I've delved, delved, delving. See, delved. this is... You've delved, delved, delved <laughs> into Aphex Twin. I've delved into Aphex Twin, um, some ambient music. So I've listened to his first two albums, Selected Ambient Works, ninety-five to uh, 85 to 92, and Selected Ambient Works, Volume 2. Uh, this is great music if you're like trying to crank out some work. There's no lyrics in it. It's just like electronic production. Some of it really is super ambient. Some of it's a little bit more dancey. Um, so if you're just in a mood where you're like, look, I need to buckle down, do some work right now, pop this in and it just kind of like washes over you and plays in the background and it actually really helps you focus on work that you're doing. The only thing I want to add about Aphex Twin is that I got into Aphex Twin last year with his new EP. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's like acoustic controlled electronic instruments or something like that. And then he had an album before that from 2014 called Zero. Um, and I really liked those. That's when I got into it. And I gave, um... His first album, the one you just mentioned, what's it called again? Selected, Selected Ambient, Ambient Works. works. I gave that a listen as well. Um, and Aphex Twin is, like you say, it's really good to focus to, it's good to relax to. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to the rapper Logic, whose album I listened to today, uh, based on a recommendation from uh, my friend Kevin Kelly, big supporter of the pod. Big friend fr- of the pod. Big friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod, Kevin. Um, he's been listening, he's been keeping up, and I appreciate it, and he suggested we did... Sean, what we used to do where we made a, a musical agreement. He was texting me after he listened, and he said, I'll listen to an album you want me to listen to if you listen to this Logic album. I said, okay, fair trade, Kevin. Nice. And I told him, listen to Wire's first album. And I don't know if he's done it. I assume I can only assume he's a man of his word. You know, if you're, get, if you're making a blood-packed music agreement we like did. we would do, we you have to stick to your word. I sliced my palm. Well, of course. That's all you always we used texting, to do in high so school. It, right. So I sliced my palm. And held it on my phone. Right. Uh, That's how it works. And once a, a pint of blood had, had been uh, let from my body, right. the blood pact was official. Right. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had to wash my Motorola razor to get all the blood off from the many blood packs yeah. that we did. I mean, looking back, we could have just taken each other's word for it. But the bottom line is that <laughs> Logic, this album is actually pretty cool. It's an hour-long uh, rap album, Logic. I actually don't really know much about his backstory. But it has, it's sort of like a story or concept album. Um, it's like this, it's set in the future. I think it's set, it was either the year like 2100 or like 3100. And uh, I'm not going to pretend to know the whole story. I just listened for the first time today. But if I, if there's one song I'd say to check out, it's called City of Stars. So give this a listen if, you, if you're if you into rap. He's, it's worth a listen. He's got some interesting stuff going on. Nice. Cool. I A quick aside. Yeah. Have we had enough aside? This yet? is our weirdest episode yet it's our fastest and loosest man that's right it's and you know it's funny this comes a week after our most high our highest listened to episode we got a little mainstream exposure we did and now maybe we're doing like a kurt cobain in utero thing where we're just railing against our our mainstream audience and we're just trying to see if they they can hang it's either that it's either the reaction to the mainstream success uh of 87 total listens or or to 88 up to 88 today um, or it's we are resting on our laurels because we think we're better than we are. Um, I think it's a mix of both. I think it's a mix of both, um, and I think we should we should move on. Agreed. Um, to what are we going to talk? We talk about this guilty pleasure note I put down. So for yeah, anyone who's yeah. listening, Sean and I have a running Google Doc of notes to talk about during every pod, and I just wanted to bring this up quickly. So for, in like two minutes, I want our takes on the concept of guilty pleasures. And the reason I bring this up, so like a guilty pleasure song is one that you probably wouldn't admit to your friends. You listen to eight times in one day. I bring this up because on Saturday, after my work holiday party the night before, when Funky Town played, I listened to Funky Town. It's a song you've all heard a million times. I listened to it on Spotify probably ten times the next day, just because I was like sort of addicted to the song. I forgot how good it was, how catchy it was, the sort of synth vocals, the the funk uh, disco riffs, um, and so that I think you could definitely qualify as a guilty pleasure. Sean, what is what do you think about the concept of guilty pleasures? So this is interesting because by calling something a guilty pleasure, you're immediately classifying it as less than or not worthy of being like real art or music 
And since music and art is all subjective, who are we to say that anything is a guilty pleasure? Someone might legitimately really love that song, and it could mean everything to them. And you're just disqualifying it by calling it a guilty pleasure. Oh, Jean, no. I. The reason I brought it up is that I fully agree with you. I'm, I don't really believe in the concept of guilty pleasures. I love Funky Town. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, Funky Town means yep. the world to me, Sean. I love that song. So I think one of the reasons why people label things as a guilty pleasure is because they're worried about what other people will think of them if they admit to liking that song. Yeah, because they're not seen as particularly artistically highbrow. So I think the the solution here is to just stop calling things guilty pleasures, yeah. stop being self-conscious about the music that you like, just like what you like, and don't worry what other people think. For example... Is it directed at me or is it directed at the listeners? It's, still, it's directed at the listeners. Okay. Because that's how I feel. For a while, I would do the same thing where I wouldn't admit to liking certain songs. Now, I have a particular Spotify playlist. It's just called Pop Gems. Mm -hmm. And they're all like these like 90s and early 2000s just like pop songs. I love them because they're pop gems. They're they're catchy as hell. Like I'm not gonna say I don't like them. One key question, and I think I know the answer, and I hope it's yes. Is there any Backstreet Boys on that playlist? Of course there is. Okay, good. Of That's, course, that it goes without saying. So it's a real pop gems playlist then. So that <laughs> I, I, that was I just wanted a quick take because I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, I want to mention Funky Town on the like. Listen to Funky Town right now. Yeah. Stop the podcast. We won't. Like, we're not gonna keep talking. Yeah, we just talked about Joanna Newsom. And we talked about, you know, Chairlift and Savages, but we're also going to give some love to Funky Town. And Chairlift is a pop band. They're a synth pop duo, yeah. Anyways. That was yeah, the, I mean, that's the whole point. You know what, I, I would love to hear other people's opinions of guilty pleasures. Like, if you're yeah. listening on SoundCloud, well, at this point, you've turned us off because we're so fucking weird. You were a mess. What I would like you to do, give us a comment. Be like, hey, yeah, I do think guilty pleasures is a relevant term for this reason. I would love to hear back from you guys. Yeah, and my point real quick is don't feel guilty about what you listen to. Just yeah, enjoy just it. Yeah, just like what you like. Big um, piece of news. Big, big news. Jake, what is it? Um, So... To cut to the quick, uh, it seems Rostam uh, Batmanglish, I think is how you that pronounce it. That was great. Name. I wasn't even going to attempt that. Rostam Batmanglish, yeah. I think, so the uh, sort of like lead guitarist slash producer slash sort of jack of all trades of Vampire Weekend is leaving the band. He announced today over Twitter on, um, it was like a, a picture of the Notes app from his phone. Uh, and it just said, yeah, I'm leaving Vampire Weekend. I'm still going to... Um, collaborate with Ezra, meaning Ezra Koenig, the lead singer and I think songwriter or primary songwriter for the band. Um, and really that was kind of, it, it was like sort of a two paragraph note. Uh, this came as a shock to me. I'm not surprised because I've been hearing rumblings of a solo album from him for quite a while. He was also um, in that duo Discovery with, I believe, the lead singer of Ra Ra Riot. Uh, so he's been doing his own projects for quite a while now. I'm not really surprised he kind of wants to do his own thing and get out from the shadow of Vampire Weekend because Vampire Weekend has become, like, a monolith of indie rock success. Well, that's exactly why it's surprising to me. Is like It's not like he... I can't imagine, especially in the way the musical landscape works today where people just sort of do other projects all the time. Like, Discovery's pretty popular, not Vampire Weekend level, but it's like he can keep doing that. That's not, it's not stopping him. And I guess it seemed to me that behind Ezra Koenig, Rostam was sort of the secondary engine that made the band go. And, and I think in live shows was the engine that made the band go. He's the guy that does all that fast surf guitar stuff. He's the guy who does all the production sounds. To me, he was like second banana and only barely. Like just right, like basically like second in command. Yeah, so I think you can make a comparison to like an NBA player. You know, they're the... It's like, a, we go back to Kobe and Shaq all the time. I'm going to go back. Kobe was the second banana in that three-peat for the Lakers. Yeah. He's like, I'm an alpha dog. I want this to be my team. I want people to say, Kobe's the reason why they're doing this. Right. I think maybe you might be getting some of that here where Rostam is just like, hey, I want my name attached to a project by itself away from the rest of this group. I can do it. I can hack it. And who knows what the relationship with a dude like Ezra is, who, you know, is a very popular songwriter. He's maybe one of the most popular faces in indie rock right now, with the exception of, like, you know, Wynn Butler from Arcade Fire. 
you know, he's super popular on Twitter. He's a good-looking dude. He's well-spoken, smart. Like, maybe there's some of that, I've been living in your shadow too long. I want to go do my own thing. Oh, and I totally get that. It just seems odd to me because it always felt like they had a really solid thing going. I guess I never got the impression that, like, Rostam felt unfulfilled. I mean, it's not like, okay, oh, yeah. I don't know Rostam. I don't know him personally. But the impression I got was always that, like, he really loved Vampire Weekend. And it was, and I'm sure he does, but, like, to me it seems he was one of the sort of defining characters in the band, of, of really the two, that really defined what their sound was all about, what their aesthetic was all about. Like, I pictured him as an sort of equal say partner and so i guess that's where it, it surprised me a little bit but either way i mean so real quick in like a minute or so how do you think this affects their sound what do you think this means for a new album so i was actually just gonna ask you that so good question um the second piece of his paragraph that he tweeted out was that he's still going to make music with vampire weekend and some of the members he's just going to be credited as rostam instead of a member of the band so i think I don't think much is going to change. Yeah. Maybe some of the production flourishes or like some of the interesting sounds they were doing change a little bit. Um, I still, I mean, you still have Ezra, great songwriter. You still have Rostam probably adding input and stuff. You get the rest of the members. I think Vampire Weekend is too talented to let this affect them. I, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's. Maybe business as usual, we'll get another good album in a year. I agree, especially since it seems like he's keeping the project close. The, like, he's keeping Vampire Weekend as a part of his life. It's not like a, a straight-up split. Um, but I, nonetheless, this was interesting news, and I, I was surprised to hear it. Um, should we move on? Yeah, so, you know, we've had another... Uh... Death, musical in the, death in the music world, and this is this is late because unfortunately these are the trappings of a weekly music podcast. Last week we dedicated an episode to David Bowie, um, and then after David Bowie's death, I think within the following week, Glenn Frey of the Eagles died. Um, and Sean, I know you don't listen to the Eagles particularly much, uh, so I just wanted to give a quick sort of shout out. Like I grew up listening to the Eagles. My mom always had the Eagles on in, in her car, driving us to school and stuff. And so like, I wouldn't say they're anywhere near like a favorite band. They're not even probably like, I, I really enjoy their music though, I guess is the point. And Glenn Fry, really quick, like anecdote. I watched that Showtime documentary, the like three hour history of the Eagles documentary. I watched it like a couple years ago. And the one thing that struck me about Glenn Fry was like, he, was sort of a consummate just businessman of the band. He was like a guy who understood the Eagles' image, understood like how to make that go. Hmm. For example, so he's the guy who's singing in songs like Take It Easy, Lion Eyes, Tequila Sunrise. Um, I think he sings, um, what's that song, Heartache Tonight or whatever it's called. Either way, he's, he's one of the primary singers. And uh, Don Henley, the drummer of the band, sings a lot of the other songs like Hotel California. He sings like basically the other half of the hits you've heard. And later in the Eagles' career, as as their career, um, as they moved into like I think the later seventies and stuff like that, you saw less of Fry singing and less of Hen and more and more of Henley singing. And in this documentary, Glenn Fry explained he was like, "Yeah, I just knew." He's like, "I knew we had Henley. He was a better singer." He's like, "I just knew it was better for the band." Hmm. And he like it sounded like it was almost his decision that like Henley should sing more and he should sing less, which is like not something you hear very often from a lead singer slash founder of a band. No. Um, and so, like, it, he's just an interesting character, at least. He's not, like, he's for, he, we're not he's not going to get an episode because he's not a, a Bowie. We're just, right. I mean, that's, right. he's not to say he's any less valid, but he's just, he's not as important um, as an individual to music as David Bowie was, in my opinion. Yep. The Eagles, you could argue, were, I mean, they were insanely popular in the 70s. I mean, uh, the tours they went on and like the shows they sold out were just insanely huge, and their their albums were like enormous sellers too. Isn't their greatest hits album one of the highest selling of all time? Yeah, I think it's in the top five. And I don't do, doesn't it not have Hotel California on it? Yeah, it doesn't. It's like their greatest hits from before that album came wow. out. Because Hotel California has obviously Hotel California on it, but it also has uh, Life in the Fast Lane. Yeah. Um, maybe there's another I'm missing too. That, but that's a band that just made a ton of hits, and they're polarizing because some people think. They're one of these bands who co-opted the country sound, the folk rock sound, and just infused it with pop and made it just a package, a sellable 
uh, marketable package, which I think is a valid argument. I think that it short shifts, uh, short shifts rather the quality of the music. They wrote some really good songs, mm-hmm. um, and they and they were good performers. And I think it's 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 a sad uh, sad loss for music. Yeah, I mean, for I sure. personally am, am a pretty big Eagles fan, um, and so yeah, I just wanted to give a quick yeah. shout to Glenn Frey. Yeah, no, that was that was great. Um, yeah, sad news. I mean, we had we had Bowie die, we had Glenn die, Lemmy we, from Motorhead. We had Lemmy die. You know, they always say you know these things come come in threes. But Alan Rickman died too, so uh, yeah, that's true. They come in fours now. That, that's true. It's, it's 2016, dude. It's a, yeah. They come in fours now. It's a sad reality. Um, so the last news update that we had is kind of a follow up on something we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and that's our boy Kanye West. So. You can pretty much guarantee that the leading up to his new album Swish and then after we're going to be talking about Kanye. Yeah, and and um, so the news here is that uh, Kanye released a handwritten but official um, track list for the album, and I feel vindicated because no uh, no more parties in LA is on it. It's on it. You know what's not on it? What's that? Only one not on it, which I'm okay with. Facts not on it. Perfect. All day. Not on it. I did. I was so preoccupied looking for no part, no more parties in LA that I actually didn't notice that all day is not on it. Not on it. That actually kind of makes sense. The old, the the four songs that we have gotten snippets of or full previews of that we know are on it are Real Friends, which we discussed last week. No more parties in LA, which we also discussed last week. Wolves. Yeah. I think we briefly touched on it. And then another song, Fade, which I actually haven't heard at all, but I Neither guess a I. snippet has been released or something. Um, but yeah, what do you think of this? Ten songs. It's uh, it's oh, economical. Oh. And Sean, lest we forget, this is the best album of all time already. Oh, that's right. That's oh, okay. oh, he, okay. Yeah, so he tweeted out, for anybody who doesn't know, that, that so happy to be done with the best album of all time. Now, So if you, if you know of Kanye, you're probably shocked. You're like, this guy's usually the picture of modesty. The picture of sort of just you know, under the radar, just just put put, put in his, you know, punch his uh, work card and, and do his job and don't say anything, don't look up. He he punches the clock, yeah. you know, brings his lunch pail every day, yeah. just puts the time in. Sarcastic, obviously. Kanye is the is the picture of egomania. Yeah, and so no one's surprised. He says this is no. The best so album he says it's the best album of all time, and then he follows up today. He uh. He goes like not the best album of all time, the best album of life or something like that. Like, first a, of all, a weird clarifying. First of all, Kanye, this won't even be your best album yourself of all time. It won't even be your second best album of all time, because every single song on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is better than No More Parties in L.A. and Real Friends. That's There's not a single song on Twisted Fantasy that is worse than either of those. That's an interesting take. I would say that the one they're closest to is like Hell of a Life. Yeah. Better than that. Mm. I I mean... So, like, I I, I love the bravado, yeah. um, and I love the confidence. It won't even be his best album. Hmm. I, 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 I guarantee it. Well, I probably agree with you, um, and I think... I'm excited to see what it is, and I think Kanye will always bring that that ego to the table. Oh, of course he will. He'll, I mean, yeah. any album he, he'll be releasing albums in his late 70s, um, and saying they're the best album of all time. Not that the age matters, and that's actually getting into that's, yep. what we're going to be talking about a little bit later. But really quickly before yeah. we do get into that, what do you think of the the ten song length? So his last two albums have just been ten songs. What do you think of this more economical well, length? For someone like like me, um, it works really well because um, I like shorter albums traditionally over longer albums. I like the sort of that that hot spot of thirty five to forty five minutes. Um, I think the possible detractor is that there's more pressure on every individual song to be really really good. But I I do like the economy of of space on this album. I like that there's. Um, a little bit less content. I think that it gives you more of an ability to focus on each individual song. Um, that being said, I think uh, it goes back to the fact that like Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy was two albums ago. That was his longest by kind of a lot, I think. And, or, or, well, it was his longest since late registration, right. at least. Right. Um, and it's over an hour. And it's like, why is Kanye going to try to match that and do the same thing? I mean, I feel like a shorter album is probably the better move. 
I would agree. Also, one thing to take into account is the fact that, like, he has other material. But do you really want facts ending up on this album? No. Not a great song. Right. So it's like, sure, he could make it longer, but at, like, what cost? Yeah, that's the thing is, like, um, if even with short albums, no matter what the length of the album is, you can always, if you if there's a song or two on there that you don't like when you're listening, there's always that thought of, you know, this could have been just a better album. I would enjoy it more. Even though it would be shorter, it would be less content if they just took these off. Uh-huh. And so, you know, who knows if... I mean, I think he's got a good sense. Kanye's got a good, a pretty genius creative sense. I think he understands, like, how an album should flow, how it should feel. I mean, and I think that's what he's up to. He's, he's put together a track list. And again, I mean, I, I'm still... I really like No More Parties in L.A., like I said last time. I really like Real Friends. I, so... I'm excited. I don't know. I'm excited. You seem down on on this I, album. I'm tempering I'm, expectations. I am. It, it's it's true. Well, what are you gonna do? I'm not like going in I'm expecting ex- his best album of I'm life. Not, I'm yeah, just, no. I'm just expecting. I'm expecting a good, solid Kanye album. Yeah, and we 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 hashed. We did all this, and we're gonna have our own Kanye West podcast when we when this gets released and yeah. we we get some listens in. We're gonna break it all down. Kanye's coming on the show. Oh, was I not supposed oh. to say that? Oh, well... His we're, publicist is going to be pissed. We were going to hype it up a little bit more, but... Oh, no. But, uh, whatever. It's fine. No, it's the fine. publicist told me not to say anything about it. We'll edit that part out. It'll be fine. Right. My phone's actually buzzing already. This isn't even live. <laughs> we'll edit it. We'll edit it. It's cool. Okay, we'll it's cut cool. that out. Um, so, Jake, do you want to introduce our, our main topic of conversation for today? Yeah, so... Uh, this was something we were planning to originally talk about last week. Um, and it was in conjunction with a discussion about um, David Bowie's new album. However, uh, Bowie's death sort of took um, the mantle over. It took. It became the ah oh, hey hey. Wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't it have a phone ring. Phones ringing. Can I, what, do I give it to you? Yeah, it? throw me the phone, and I'll just. Uh... Oh, and my parents got it. Well, so that's great. So, anyways, the. Um, what was I saying? So David Bowie's death became the real focus of the podcast. But the thing we were going to talk about is this concept of, uh, is there ageism in rock, rap, pop music? And by that we mean, is there a tendency from music fans, music critics, music writers, bloggers, podcasters, vloggers, whatever it might be, to take music being created and being released by artists who are uh, getting up there in age, um, you know, maybe 40s, 50s, 60s, like, you know, older, Bowie age or down to like your, the, your like sort of middle-aged period, um, is there a tendency to take those artists less seriously, their albums less seriously, and um, as another point of discussion, is there some credence to it? Because do artists, Bowie I think is an exception, but do artists tend to lose some of that sort of creative fire that burned in them when they were younger and when they were trying to come up and when they were striving for fame and striving for success. So it's a lot to chew off. But do you have initial yes. thoughts? So I think a great way to test out this hypothesis or theory of that age does affect your popularity um, and maybe ability as a musician as you get older, name one or two albums off the top of your head made by someone over the age of 60 that you love black star other than black star that's the only one i can do the only i'm going to i'm going to get credit i think we both deserve some credit for sun kill moon he's not over 60 no. i don't even think he's 4 50 he's but he's getting up there and he has the he has the I'm attitude not, I'm of not an older guy. that I, i'm i'm talking one of these legacy acts such as the Rolling Stones. Okay, I have another one. I have another U2, one. You Bruce Springsteen. Like, are okay. there any of... The only other one I can... I can. Well, if you're not giving me Black Star, uh, uh, Memory Almost Full by McCartney. Okay. I really, really like. Okay. Um, and so the point is, is that do we even listen to albums... Like, just Sean, okay, say an album comes out by an artist that say you really like. So say it's Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Yep. You're a fan. Yep. An album comes out next year. It's 2017, a brand new album by Steen. Are you listening? No. Why I'm is not. that? Why is that? I'm not listening because, first of all, he does not get the critical acclaim across the board that a great album would deserve. So right off the bat there, I'm seeing, okay, he's not getting great reviews on this. Probably isn't really worth my time. Second of all, 
I've heard certain songs, like some of the singles from some of his new albums over the past 10 years. They're okay, they're fine. I don't really care. They feel like ripoffs of Born to Run era, Darkness on the Edge of Town era. They just feel like shadows of that, and that kind of makes me sad. I'm also not doing it just because, like, I, I think it comes back to this ageism thing. I just don't think someone at that age is making super relevant important music it sounds bad but it's, that's... it's it's not only the relevance factor though i think it can be relevant i think what it sometimes lacks and again i don't have a lot to back it up because i haven't listened to a ton of these albums by bands and artists who are getting up there like i'm not listening to a new rolling stones album nope. i'm just not interested and i think the reason is because there's a the probably fallacy but undeniable feeling that music especially rock pop rap is the young man's game the young young man or woman's game it's the young person's game it's sort of it, it's fueled by some of that angst some of that the youthful sort of hopefulness and slash anger slash confusion and that's what that sort of fuels and combines for this product of, of music we really love that being said i think bowie just showed us all up he did and he and so you look at black star and that totally flies in the face of everything. I mean, that dude was almost in his 70s. And so is he just a wild outlier? Or is or is that a sign that we should be listening to some more music by artists who are a little bit older? And I'm not limiting this to just people over 60. Because I was also going to say we should discuss stuff about, like, like Paul Simon. He released one of his best albums, Graceland, that's in his true. 40s. Like, that's true. getting up there. That's still, that's outside of that, the range of, like, people are releasing right. relevant rock music. You're right. So, I think Bowie is an outlier here. Because if you look at these reviews, and we're going to talk about the way reviews influence this, too. If you look at the reviews for that, across the board, it was, it was critically lauded. People loved it. That tells me right there that this is something that's relevant, this is something that's worth my time, this is something, this is like a real artistic great statement. When you look at a band, I'll take I'll, I'll take the Rolling Stones, for example. They'll come out with a new album. What is that getting on Metacritic overall? Honestly, it's better usually than you'd think. That's the thing. Is that usually, in they're this... pulling it, no, but usually they're pulling in like something in the high 70s. And it's like, I'd listen to an album by like say, just to pick a random band off the top of the, the what we talked about, maybe Joanna Newsom. If she released an album that was getting a 78 on Metacritic, I'd give that a bunch of listens. Oh, because yeah, of course. So the other question to that is, are they getting higher reviews because they're the Rolling Stones and there's some legacy like love that they're just getting and respect? I don't know because I think <laughs> what we see is the, it's, their reviews are more polarized than... So if you look at an artist like a Joanna Newsom or like Savages or like Chairlift, someone who's contemporary, considered within the range of age that's like a, like traditional for a, a musician, I feel like their reviews typically will trend along a similar sort of range. It'll be like, say, say it's getting... It'll be like from the 70s to the 80s and you won't see a whole lot of outliers. The difference with like a Stones or or um, a Bruce Springsteen or a Dylan, and this is what we're going to get into, is that some sources like Rolling Stone will be giving perfect scores. Some sources like Pitchfork will be giving four or five, barely a six out of ten. And I think the average lies somewhere in the middle, obviously, yep. or at the middle because it's the average. That's math <laughs> for you. Um, and and so it's just interesting. So like. Is that actually a fine number since it's skewed by those negative reviews from people who are intentionally trying to be of the moment and like capturing what the youth is doing? That's a good question. So I think it depends on who you're looking at and what their ulterior motive with all of this is. If you look at a Rolling Stone, someone who was their most relevant in the 70s yeah. when these artists were coming out with their masterworks. Are they trying to prop up that era a bit? Are they trying to keep that era relevant? Because maybe they're not so much anymore. People look at Rolling Stone as a dinosaur in the media industry right now. They do. And the thing is, is that I can't take... Roll... So say the U2 album comes out, for example, yep. next year, 2017 U2 album. 
I'm probably not looking at Rolling Stone or Pitchfork for that because what's going to happen is Pitchfork's going to just annihilate it. They're going to give it like a 3.5 out of 10 no matter if it was good or not just because and and I'm sure they'd have some some things to say about this take but they just they, a lot of the reviews they give are like political statements. It's yeah. it's a statement they're making. Yeah. I don't trust a Pitchfork review on YouTube. They're trying to blast them to A seem more relevant, B uh, come across as cutting edge and see like make a statement that might it is a little bit of clickbait in there and and rolling stone i trust also not i don't really trust either because they're just going to give it a four and a half to a five out of star uh, five stars out of five and 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 like i said the truth lies somewhere in the middle and like so maybe you do check out a metacritic for something like that yeah you or do. you just listen because reviews aren't everything that's true that's the other thing that's not everyone is a slave true. to reviews however I think there is something to be said about these media sources and how they are influencing the purchases and the listens of these albums. So I think there's definitely some politics being played with um, a Rolling Stone magazine of the world. You know, they've been granted interviews by these bands for years. They have sold so many magazines for them. On their, on, well, and they've really sold because of so them. many records because of them. It's There's a symbiotic relationship Yeah, there. it's a quid pro quo relationship between the two of them. That's a good point. And you look at Pitchfork, who were laughed at by the mainstream music press for years, and now they're the top dog. They're looked at as the most relevant, the most... Um, they're tastemakers, basically. They they control if a band becomes popular or not. They really do. So I think that goes to their head a little bit. And they, like you said, they have to make statements about some of these old guard bands who, you know, the the dinosaur media people laughed, laughed at them for a while. So they need to kind of push back on that a little bit, I think. Do you think the secret to this is... Maybe, I guess it's not true of us, I because I don't do this, but do you think some music listeners just say, I like Bob Dylan, I like Bruce Springsteen, I like you too, I'm going to just keep listening. Because I'm interested and I liked them then, why wouldn't I like them now? Because I could see a very valid argument in saying, like, look, these are the same people that I, I love their music, why wouldn't I enjoy this album? And just because some douchebag 20-something with a, with a laptop decides to blog out that U2's not relevant anymore, that doesn't mean that, like, Bono and The Edge or Bruce Springsteen or Mick Jagger don't have interesting things to say. I mean, if anything, right. they're older, they're wiser, maybe they have a better perspective. That's a great point. And so I think for us, it's harder to do that or say that because we didn't grow up listening to these artists. So, you know, in high school, yeah, I might have listened to Born to Run and loved it. And it's one of my favorite albums. However, that's not the same as me being a teenager when that came out and growing up with it and and being excited for every Bruce Springsteen release f for the rest of time. Through the ages. Like, I look back and I'm like, oh, that history says that was his best work. Yeah. So what's the point of listening to something now that he comes out with? And the other thing on top of that is, Jake, we're starting to get to a point where some of our favorite artists yep. are getting a little bit older. That was the next thing. Let's I was look bring at up. Radiohead. Let's take them for example. We've been listening to Radiohead since 2008 when they came out with In Rainbows. And so even that is like kind of cheating because that's well into their career. I know, but I know. it's true. They were contemporaries. I think, I think Radiohead's the best example that we have to go off yeah. of in our personal lives. It is. is so we started listening to them. Then we went back. We listened to Kid A, OK Computer, Amnesiac, all the big albums, and we got really, really excited when. King of Limbs was set to come out. We're like, yes, new Radiohead album. We didn't care that, like, they're in their, what, mid to late 40s? Right. We didn't We didn't think about that at all. We're just like, this is a new Radiohead album. Well, I would argue that there was some of that there, at least in my mind. I still, I do oh, think about it. Oh, there wasn't for me at all. I think There about is it. now for this new album. I'm starting to think about it now. I do think about it, and I guess the question is, why? Because, like, that's my point, is that... So I love Radiohead, and I have been listening to them as a contemporary band, someone that is actively making music while I'm looking for it, uh, for years now, for like for like seven, eight years, and and so now I, you know, Tom York is in his late forties. It doesn't bother me, but it maybe, and it sounds bad to say, would have bothered me a few years ago. I think I let that impact the way I I looked at music more, um, and I think the way I used to think of it was. It's like someone's getting a little older. They're a little more contented. They're a little bit more resting on their laurels. 
this isn't going to be their most interesting take on what's going on in the world and what's going on in their life. It's probably a little, they're probably a little happier. They're probably a little bit more just uh, willing to sit back and enjoy. And so as a result, it's not going to be their most interesting album. But that's not necessarily true because you look, look at someone like Paul Simon, and that's what I was going to bring up. Or you can look at Radiohead. I mean, these are artists who were releasing great music in their 40s and now i mean i wouldn't surprise me at all if radiohead released a killer album this year and they're all approaching their 50s it wouldn't surprise me either and i think one of the things that maybe we don't want to admit to or talk about with just older people in general is like we're told that maybe they're not that useful anymore you know you're expected to retire and just kind of you know sail off into your autumn years and leave it at that like not to say that radiohead's old enough for that no i'm just saying when we look at these older artists i think subconsciously at least there has to be a part of that that's being that that you're thinking about where you're like ah uh, they can't be relevant they can't continue doing this because you know they're old yeah. it's just it's not fair i think there's some subconscious thoughts and feelings about what age means in our culture in general yeah that's influencing what your take is on them which i mean like it or not it's there here's an interesting thought for you so as you age and as i it's so like as we age so picture yourself as 55 to 60 year old sean are you still actively seeking out the youngest acts out there or do you feel that that's not connecting with you anymore and i my answer is i i think it's starting to lose its impact me too. For me. and i think i'm starting to feel like you know what? Young people don't know what the hell they're talking about. They're yeah. stupid. They're naive. They think they get it. They're being kind of like they come across as really kind of douchey. They come across as like the they're entitled and they think the world owes them something. I'm probably not all that into younger bands. I probably am looking for people with an older perspective, something that I can more relate to. You're right, and it's all relative, I guess. I would like to think that I'm still with it enough with music that's coming out to at least know what is considered important and good and cutting edge but at the same time you're right you know i'm gonna want things that i can relate to at that point in my life so i guess there's an audience for all of this but like, here's here's sort of an interesting like corollary like so t we're we're both 23 and i'm starting to so like i'm watching sports i can't idolize athletes the same way i used to because most like the prime athletes who are coming out of college are all like younger than me now by kind of life. Look at like the Celtics, for example. They have players born in 1996. Like, dude, they have players who are 19. I'm not going to look up to a 19 year old. And so if you're 50 years old, th that's just more exacerbated. And, and you could do the same with musicians. Like, if I were, like, say I'm 45, I'm not looking up to, uh, like, um, Alex Turner from Arctic Monkeys. I don't like. I'm like, oh, Alex Turner's a he's a good kid. He's doing some interesting stuff, but I'm not like looking up to him. You're not doing what we do, where we're like, this guy's so cool, so talented. No. Like, I, there is like an awe. Like when we went to go see him live, there was like, oh my god, there's Alex Turner. He's so cool. You're not doing that as an adult. You're no. not. It, but I think if you are in your fifties and David Bowie, you know, he just died. You're you're still doing that with him you still look at him as yeah. like this god and you're just like oh my god like david bowie like that's the, that's the guy right there you're right you're not doing that with a younger artist i can't see myself even for that much longer even for a couple more years um i can't see myself thinking oh how cool is it that, that band's a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds like oh. they, they have they must have a really fresh perspective like to actually that idea already seems old to me the yeah. idea that like you have to be this like teenager to early 20s year old person yeah to like get music so it's interesting it kind of there's like a, a curve it kind of shifts along your life and so what i'm saying i guess the whole point i'm trying to make is if we're older right now aren't we kind of digging what the stones are, are doing we probably we are kind of digging and look at some of the bands that we listen to now that you think will probably be around in 20 years 30 years um i think you could probably say like an arcade fire yeah vampire weekend some of these like consistently good people yeah. like i think i'm probably still gonna be interested in what they're doing at that I am too. time dude imagine win butler at, at at 60 how yeah. how jaded he will be oh, by then he's it's already gonna be amazing he's just be an old crusty dude, sea salt by and, then yeah and you mentioned earlier kanye you like he's gonna come out with albums when he's in his 70s 
He probably will. He's already almost in his 40s. And I'm going to be really interested in what that's about. So I. So I think it... Here's, here's an interesting question. I think maybe you already answered it. What bands or artists um, around now, popular now, um, do you think have the legs to be one of those artists who, like, when we're in our when we're in our older years, are, we're still listening to them, like, ah, their 20th album. Like a, like a Dylan or a Springsteen where you're like, oh, it's not surprising to me that X band came out with their 19th album. It... It's definitely Arcade Fire. Yeah, I think I think because you have Win Butler and his wife Regine, mm-hmm. they're just gonna keep making music. And I think his brothers in it too. It's yeah. a it's a family affair with them. You know who else I wouldn't be surprised by honestly is Arctic Monkeys. Arctic Monkeys as well. No, I agree because because I just feel like they have a good thing going and they just they keep churning out different albums with different sounds and I just feel like they're like kind of the consummate band. Alex Turner, everyone knows his place. He knows his place in the band. Yep. I don't get the feeling that anyone's questioning that or that there's someone and the thing is, is like I would have said until today Vampire Weekend was one of those bands I always expected after Rostam jumped ship I don't know how I feel about that maybe they still are maybe there's one of these bands that will be changing lineups throughout the years and that's so interesting to lo- think about like, yeah. think about looking at like the Rolling Stones on Wikipedia and they're like that little timeline yep. with all the different band members you have Ronnie Wood and you have Mick Taylor and people joining at different periods What's that going to look like for like an arcade fire? What's that going to look yep. like for like a vampire weekend? I have two for you right now that will absolutely continue just churning out music. One I already don't care about and I'm not excited for. Okay. <laughs> it's Coldplay. They're going to keep yeah. coming out with albums. They're going to keep playing Super Bowls. They're going to keep playing Super Bowls. I bet the, I bet the NFL is going to get them on retainer. There's the phone again. That's This is a two-phone-call podcast. This is You know what that a means, listeners? You win the, the grand prize to be described at greater lengths later. Um, Coldplay, that's the first one. Coldplay, for sure. They're just going to keep charting. They're just going to keep being consistent. People are going to keep buying their And records. like I said, the NFL is going to put them on retainer. They're going sure. to be this, they're gonna be the Super Bowl Gravy band. train. Um, the other one is... Talk De- about symbiotic relationship. Is Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah, yeah. Ben Gibbard is just going to keep writing music and... In, churning out albums this entire time i think that's probably true uh i think those are probably the the big ones yeah right now um the other thing that i wanted to bring up in the context of this age discussion um was was this idea of ten thousand hours being the thing that gets you to be an expert in your field so i've been reading the book outliers by malcolm gladwell and in that book, he outlines this idea about what it takes to be truly successful and truly an expert at something. And his theory is that it takes 10,000 hours. And if you look at anyone over the course of history, that's about how long it takes them to truly master their craft. So he had a couple good anecdotes in there about the Beatles and Mozart and Bill Gates and how it took them all of this time working on their craft to truly get to a point where they were their most successful. So I think you could make that argument about you know this older generation of artists where haven't they been working towards this in their entire life they're putting in all this time isn't this the place where they're they should be making their most important and best work because they're put there they finally reached that ten thousand hours i think there's probably some credence to that that maybe we're just ignoring i i could agree and i think again it's all tied into that impression um that hip-hop rap rock pop created by people who are writing their own music should come from a place of a youthful energy and i think that whole sort of paradigm all comes from look at like look at the traditions of rock music so you got the beatles you got the rolling stones elvis you know if you can go back further but they're all young people who or there's that vigor to them and there's that sort of youthful hopefulness and it's like I said before, it's like hopeful slash confused slash kind of mad. That's come to embody what we think this music is supposed to be about. And I think for a lot of people, it's less about the experience and less about the technical craft and more about the exp- I mean, look at punk music. Mm-hmm. Punk rock is all about sheer aggression over uh, technical proficiency. Mm-hmm. And I think it just depends what you're looking for. And I think if you listen to... Paul Simon's Graceland, which I keep referencing, an album that came out, I think, when he was in his 40s, that's, it's a, it's an album that is of his age. You can, if you look at, you can call me Al, or uh, any of those songs, and even look at the production and the lyrics together, 
you know, the lyrics are a little bit more content. They're a little bit more. He knows where he's at. He's a little bit older, a little bit wiser. Um, and the music's pretty sheen. It's pretty produced. Not that Simon and Garfunkel ever wasn't, but if you listen to something like The Only Living Boy in New York or um, or The Boxer, um, I think it's hard to deny that it has a little more bite to it. For sure. I mean, for Simon and Garfunkel. Not oh, no, Simon yeah. And, I'm not comparing <laughs> yeah. Simon and Garfunkel to, like, a young punk band. <laughs> right. But, but uh, the point remains that younger Simon and Garfunkel, younger Paul Simon, had some sort of you know, the, the emotions are a little less figured out in that early... And there's something compelling about that. There is. Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, the songwriting itself is awesome on Graceland. But I enjoy the themes and the emotions that the Simon and Garfunkel albums invoke. So, I don't know. I guess... I guess my major question is, it's not only that... The themes are different. That's not the that's not the that's not the distinguishing factor. There's a tendency for people to take the themes of a musician who is older less seriously. That's the whole thing. Is it's not it's not that oh they're different and we're looking for this and that's it. It's that it, for some reason what older musicians are putting out we we almost don't it seems take seriously. Is that because they're rehashing what they've already done? I don't think so. Not in every case. Although maybe I'm thinking of some of the best examples, but I think it's like, also the lyrical themes. It's like the themes of the music and the overall sound, it tends to be a little more polished, I think, for all the musicians. And I think the themes tend to be a little bit more uh, looking back or like accepting the present um, more than this sort of anxiety-fueled yeah. youthfulness. I just wonder why those themes are taken less seriously and valued to a lesser degree. It's, it seems like equally valid it's another part of life it's true and i don't know there's no answer i'm not saying for you to no, answer i don't have an answer i don't either. because the, the truth is, is i do it too i'm not i'm not a, making an accusation against right. you or anybody else right i'm just saying uh you know myself included i think there's this tendency amongst music listeners to somehow poo poo and kind of turn our noses up at artists who have all this experience maybe have some really interesting things to say looking back in retrospect now that being said I mean, I think there's, and again, I haven't listened, but you, I'm sure there's a valid argument to be had about like the Rolling Stones, kind of milking the cash cow a little bit, and that's the other concern. That's what I was gonna say was I, one of the reasons why I probably am not as inclined to listen to one of these legacy bands is because sometimes it feels like a little bit of a cash grab. It's like, oh hey, we're releasing um, this new album. It's got. 10 bonus tracks on it and it's all live renditions of old classics that you like it and like yeah i don't know it just and it feels like a little bit of uh we're trying to cash out a little bit i don't know like, yeah or you know uh look at a band like like aerosmith for example i'm not i have no interest even remotely in what aerosmith is doing because i know that they did all their most interesting stuff in the 70s when they were junkies sadly that's when they were at their best, and that Steven Tyler is a businessman first, and they're just making money, and they're selling things off their name. And it's interesting how that differs from an artist like Bowie, and I think everyone just sort of understands that Black Star is this real, artistic statement. It's not a cash grab. And I wonder how it is we understand that. Is it Because I would have expected that even before listening to either of those albums. So if, so if you gave me two albums, you say, here's the new Aerosmith album, here's the new Bowie album, which one's going to be better? You haven't heard either of them. I'll say Bowie 100% of the time. I will too. It's Bowie. And it just look at their entire careers. Look at Bowie as an artist. Look yeah. at his cultural impact. That's that's how you just know. Right. That's it. Like you, And Aerosmith's a band that has a roller coaster at Disneyland. Disney exactly. That, that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. That's a microcosm of that band. And I think that's, that's what you need to really look out for is that there are bands who are older who it's not malicious they probably think it's their career they they're trying to make they, money yeah right. I, don't, I don't blame them you they probably think oh the fans will love this right but it's not something that I, i'm gonna go out and seek and like spend my time digesting and breaking down and really listening closely to you know what i mean i agree and let's sum this up by asking, let's throw let's throw an artist out there. Who do you think? We just said ones that would age well. Who's the one that's going to age really poorly, and it will come off looking a little bit desperate, a little bit like a cash grab when they're still coming out with music oh. when they're 60, 70 years old. Oh. Do you have a good one? 
I don't know that I do off the top of my head. I don't. Hold on. I don't want to say it's going to be Kanye. No. Because it's not. He's not going to be the cash grab guy. <sighs> it's. I'm thinking like. You know what it would be a good example is if MGMT after yeah. after all their disowning of their pop stuff in 2051 released an album that was sort of sounding like Oracular Spectacular, that would be an example. Um, but I, I guess it's hard to say in the moment who those bands are going to be. You know who I can kind of see doing that, and it makes me sad because I like this band a lot, is The Killers. Oh, yeah. I can see them doing that. Well, they're, in, they're not quite as big and as much of a sort of... I hate to throw the word sellout around because I think it gets... I think it's overly negative i'm not someone who believes that like if you sell your music you're a you're just a corporate shill man like (laughs) no these are people who need to make a living at the end of the day and like but there is something to be said about like if you have a ride at disney world that's a little uncool and that's like the place where like coldplay's getting to they're playing the super bowl they're just everything i think i I mentioned them earlier i think it is coldplay as well they're already doing it though they are they're already a band where like i'm just not interested i'm like okay coldplay I'll listen to Russian Blood to they're the just Head. A thing, yeah. But I don't. But but Coldplay is now just this sort of. They're they're like, uh, yeah. They're like it's like an American Idol thing. It's like it's just it's a cultural. They're just there in the background. Touchstone. Everyone knows. Oh, Coldplay. Yeah, they're right. still doing their thing. Right. Um. But it's not that interesting anymore. I think that yeah, you make a good point. The Killers are a band that that have potential to do that kind of thing. I. That's yeah. it's an interesting question. And I think it's... the reason it's hard to say is that we're in the moment right now. Yeah, no, that is why... I would actually love to hear from some of the listeners on who they think are some of these artists that will have legs and will still be making important work, or those who aren't. I would also like to hear their opinion on um, some of these older acts right now, because obviously, like, this is all just our opinion. Like, we're not totally interested in a new U2 album or a new Rolling Stones album, but maybe there's people out there who have listened, love it, and stand by it and think it's worth it. And you know what, Jake? I would challenge both of us this year. How about this? If Bruce comes out with a new album or the Rolling Stones or U2, how, how about we make an effort to give it at least a couple listens and yeah. see what it's all about? Oh, I do that. There's no harm in it because like, I feel like the the low watermark for that is you're just going to kind of like it. You'll mm-hmm. like a couple songs. Yeah, you will. Like there's not going to be – and that's what it is. Uh, that's sort of what I'm afraid of at the same time is like I don't – how much do I want to listen to an album by – Bob Dylan, where I just like a couple songs. I know. But that's the thing. And it's like you, and there's no real risk involved. Like, we'll be fine. It's, right. it, it is interesting, though, to think about. And I it think we should, we should make an active effort. We will. We will. Cool. So, as weird as this episode started off, I think we, we saved it. Got into a rhythm? Yeah. I can, we can only okay. hope. I mean, ageism in music is an interesting topic. Yeah. I, I, I hope we did it some justice. I hope so too. I think um, it's one for further discussion, and I'd like to see hear absolutely. from other people. Yeah, so definitely, you can reach us um, just through the comments section of SoundCloud, as some of you have done before. We appreciate it. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Level Four Media. Level Four Double Underscore Media. Un- double Underscore Media, um, and then we also have a fledgling website right now that we've been working on, where it's going to have some blog posts. It's going to have the podcast. Um, so you can check us out there as well. That's level4media.net. For the number, number not four. Out. Yep, media.net. Uh, we'll tweet all of this out through the account. Um, so, yeah, just get at, get at us there. Yeah, in the meantime, thanks a lot for listening, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. stairs to take cough medicine and as i was pouring the robitussin into the thing yeah i told my mom that rappers mix it with sprite and they call it either dirty sprite or lean and she was like oh really i was like yeah so if you ever hear caitlin talking about lean you know what she's up to wow so i just gave my mom an education on what dirty sprite is that's wild (laughs) and 
Yeah, Caitlin better watch out. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, I, um, I, how do you think someone, like, where, where along the line was someone like, yeah, I'm going to try this, make dirty Sprite? Um, they probably, like, probably just had someone who needed a fix or something. Were like, yeah, yeah, it was probably like, I know that cough syrup, if you drink too much, fucks you up, so I'm going to mix it with Sprite and mm. get fucked up. Or people just drink it on its own, which is disgusting. It's very syrupy. It doesn't taste good. I'm never a huge fan of Sprite to begin with. I like Sprite. No, I'm not a big Sprite guy. Obey your thirst, Jake. Speaking of Sprite. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready when you are. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. 